Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. If I told him how I make Hidden Valley Ranch salad dressing, he'd never try it. I ate it. This dressing's delicious. It's different. You see, the Hidden Valley fixings turn mayonnaise and buttermilk. What'd you say? I said we're out of butter. Oh. Into an extraordinary salad dressing with a fresh, lively flavor that's delicious, like he says. Eat it. Who are you talking to? We're talking, uh, it's on the TV, Ralph. Delicious Hidden Valley Ranch, the original flavor buttermilk dressing with the original taste. Go ahead. Give in to temptation. Don't be such a ridiculous prude. You're embarrassing yourself and most of your family. It seems like you don't even love your kids anymore, you screedler. You know that they're just aching to go on vacation. A vacation from their problems at school. A vacation from Timmy Spangletoes and his vicious band of bully bebops. You know the ones I'm talking about. Why not pack the whole family up into chubby ass wagon and cruise to the center of it all? The greatest theme park that money can buy access to. Midwest World. That's right. I'm talking about the simulated hyper-reality populated by robots that mimics the life in a day in such exotic places as Illinois, Minnesota, Wisconsin. You can feel what it's like to be a person who lives in central Michigan. Try to find a white person who isn't racist in Indiana. It's a fun and exciting family escape with no parallel. Do donuts in a parking lot in Ohio. If you want to win back the love of your children, your children who grow more distant every day as you become disenfranchised at work and bring that evil back home to your family, you've got to do something. And Midwest World is truly something. Come on out and pay us a visit. You'll discover who you really are and you might just be surprised. Holy fuck. Midwest world. What a concept. I for one am beside myself with quivering anticipation. I cannot wait to visit it. Folks, my name is Staff Onley. And you guessed it. This week's episode of the Humor and the Abject podcast hosted by Sean J. Patrick Carney is sponsored by Midwest World and Hidden Valley Ranch Dressing. Name a more iconic duo. I won't be waiting. There isn't one. I dare you to look at me in my face and try to tell me that you aren't booking a trip for your family right now to Midwest World and imagining all of the pizza that you'll be dipping into ranch dressing together. You can kill a robot. You can fuck a robot. You can check out the Paul Ryan family estate in Janesville, Wisconsin and tell his kids what a fucking cuck he is. Did you hear that he's vegan now? I did. Well. I guess it's time for me to turn it over to Sean. Hey. Paul Ryan though. If you're listening. Eat my ass like you mean it for once. I just had a surgery to turn it into a plant-based protein, ass. Pretty exciting. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 13 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. That's right. Lucky number 13. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. This week, I have a verified icon as my guest. I've been following his work for years. I first encountered it uh, some of his early video pieces thanks to a teacher of mine in undergrad. This gem of a man has been bending genres in the art world for over four decades 
and it would be silly of me not to call him a sort of art hero in the realms of visual art and comedy. I'm extremely happy that he agreed to spend some time with me in the studio. You may know him by his everyman character Mike, or as the volatile toddler Baby Icky. He's shown everywhere and is a faculty member at the University of Texas in Austin. Folks, here is my conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Michael Smith. figure that out with anything in my life <laughs> um well michael smith welcome to human the abject thanks a bunch for joining me today thank you um you are preparing to head out to austin pretty I, soon is that correct i am yeah and you're teaching at ut and what's the name of the department it's the transmedia transmedia uh -huh. yes how long have you been there um i, I started full-time in 2001 okay nice um, and you were born in Chicago, is that correct? I, I was. Did you grow up there? I, w I did. Yeah. And how, how was Chicago growing up? Well, I didn't know any better mm -hmm. then. So it was, you know, I think fondly of, of the Midwest and Chicago and nostalgia about it. I don't, I, um, it's a beautiful city. I don't remember it experiencing it like that. And I don't remember my childhood being all that happy and everything, but I had, I guess, a loving home. Kind of, you know, they had its neurotic, neuroses and everything. But it is. <laughs> Do you think? Uh, I'm curious if you feel like your sense of humor is at all informed by having been raised in the Midwest. I, I would imagine. I mean, there was a lot of humor and yeah. mirth in my household. My yeah. mother had a big sense of humor, a lot of jokes, and. There's a tradition of comedy, and we, from Shelley Berman to Bob Newhart, the, all those, you know, Alan Sherman, all those um, albums ended up in our in our house. And, and I'm Jewish, and so that's sort of part of our culture too. Yeah, I think that uh, I'm always a little bit curious about that, only because I guess it was maybe it's probably four or five years ago. Um, the artist Michelle Grabner, um, she was curating a show at the Hyde Park Art Center. And it was called uh, A Study on Midwestern Appropriation. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be in the show. There were quite a few other people. And she'd asked me and uh, Duncan McKenzie, who is uh, based in Chicago, I believe, to have a conversation about uh, what a Midwest sense of humor meant. And we had a hell of a time trying to nail that down because it's a mishmash of so many different things. I mean, I come from an Irish Catholic family, which I think has a very particular set of uh, jokes and mm -hmm. ways to deal with things that are rooted in probably a different tradition than a Jewish family or something like that. But yeah, I've been asked that lots of times having lived on the West coast and the East coast, like, Oh, you seem like you're really Midwest. So well, I don't entirely know what that means, but well, I guess we have the pure accent. Yeah. <laughs> Except when you say roof or Chicago or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. I, if I have a beer or two, it gets pretty, it gets pretty noticeable, especially if I go home, uh -huh. if I go home for two weeks and then, and back anywhere, my O's and my A's have significantly changed. Right. I've, I've tried to get a little more non-regional, but I'm I'm a little I'm not conscious of it. The same as I I sort of 
talked about Jewish humor that, you know, humor is um, inherent to like being Jewish, but I don't really know anything about that either. I heard that, you know, <laughs> yeah. and there was humor in my household. <laughs> um, well, I guess speaking of uh, Jewish humor, I, I was reading, you know, kind of preparing for this, I go through and read some different things and stuff like that. And there was a thing that you wrote for, I think it was for bomb a while ago. And it was about Andy Kaufman and uh i forgot yeah. I, I also have no memory yeah and Stuart sherman though um and i'm just kind of as as i was reading that again i was kind of thinking about you're talking about these two different comedians who are you know sort of a lot of overlap but represent maybe these two kind of different points on like a spectrum of what that kind of performance is or right. something like that and as i was reading it the whole time i was kind of thinking about your work and curious if you saw yourself somewhere in the middle of those two right well I don't necessarily think of Stuart as a comedian. No, a performer. Though. A performer, yeah. yeah. With these sort of props and weird kind yeah. of elaborate things. And I know that you have used those before. So not necessarily on the humor spectrum, but in your approach to performing and things right. like that. I don't know if right. you've consciously or subconsciously borrowed from the two of them. Uh, Kaufman, I, I was already sort of doing my prop stuff when I saw him. I really didn't. The first time I saw him was at Carnegie Hall, actually. I went to that show. Yeah, I think you, I th that was in that article, yeah. the Milk and Cookies show. Is yeah. That right? Yeah. And uh, Stuart, I met, he was the, one of the first performers I met when I came to New York. That was probably in the article, too. Mm -hmm. um, and I immediately bonded with him because this way he um, um, sort of formed thoughts, you know, whether they be abstract or very obvious kind of associations or completely baffling surprising um sort of they were like one-liners without a punchline yeah know? yeah yeah there's, uh, a, there's an economy to that yeah that i think i've always responded to yeah and have you seen much of his work only through things in anthology like right periodically but uh kind of you know before my time time of thing to mm -hmm. be able to have seen in person but um i guess i'm interested in that too that kind of economy that people employ whether that's a one-liner whether it's these kind of like micro gestures and stuff like that and i think that i wouldn't say that there's a staunch economy to the mike character that you've done no because it is pretty broad sweeping um but there's almost like an economy in your approach to it is simply like well i'm michael smith i'm just going to use the short version of my first name and play this kind of stand-in character well there there's a little bit more to that too yeah. i mean i was looking i mean if you he he comes out of this kind of pun blanded gentry bland man mm -hmm. maybe you he'd seen that in the interview anyways um i obvi i asked my father what our name was before smith and he because being jewish and both sides of the family and he said without missing b said sutton and so mm -hmm. sutton i don't think is a very jewish name mm -hmm. and uh so and um my mother um grew up uh in a foster home in um rural michigan actually uh and she was very aware of being different than other people mm -hmm. and she was a rosenberg and then she assumed the name rosenberg when she moved in with her family when she was 13. anyways there was this idea of passing and i always was aware of my mother sort of passing you know for something other than jewish like as an anglo or yeah. like a, yeah okay yeah, yeah. and I was I sort of created this persona and I thought what will I call him and I was called Michael in my house 
my house, my, my family. So Mike um, was a bit of a a little diminutive, a little sort of pejorative. My brother would say, "Hey, Mike," you know. <laughs> so I thought of Mike as that, and also Mike is Michael's the most com what at the time was the most common name. Sure. So I figured Mike, and then. Michael Smith, you know, yeah, Mike Smith. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't until many years later that I started to use Mike Smith in those tapes. Oh, it was just Mike. It was just Mike. Okay. And it wasn't until I started doing those more um, narrative, pe longer narrative pieces with Joshua White that I, I think I called him Mike Smith when he had companies and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that's why Mike. And <laughs> I think it's sort of funny. It gets conflated, I think, in um, some people's minds that uh, there's a, people think, Probably not a ton, but that Michael Smith and Mike Smith are two different artists. Well, there's a, a lot of Michael Smith. There's, there's a well. There's the Christian uh, singer Michael W. Smith, right? That fucker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. His name comes up a lot. If it makes you feel any better, there's a guy named Sean Carney, who is uh, from Ohio, and he is the front man for an all-white blues band. Uh -huh. And by the time that I got into college, and you were supposed to have an email and a website. This guy had every Sean Carney account that existed, so I just went with the full Irish Catholic, like, fine, I'm doing this. But, um, yeah, I think I, I just mentioned, somebody said, uh, they said, you know, who are you recording this week? And I was like, Michael Smith. And they're like, uh, the artist Michael Smith? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, is that Mike Smith or Michael Smith? And I was like, that's a character that's played by that artist or something. But there's also, there's a Michael Bell Smith. I, I know believe. him, yeah. There's a, and there's a Michael E. Smith. Yes. <laughs> and I... Um, and I noticed there's another Michael Smith out there now recently. It has a show. And there's a Michael A. Smith. I'm Michael A. Smith. I sign my – this is really interesting. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of Michael Smiths. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Fortunately, I got in there first. I know when I was I was SAG eligible at one time. Oh, for the, the Screen Actors Guild? Yeah, because I did a show on television. And yeah. um, the name they finally found that I could use was M. Allen Smith. M. Allen Smith. Yeah. Huh. That's sort of like, yeah. Because all the others were taken. <laughs> and I spell Allen with A-L-L-E-N. A-L-L-E-N. Yeah. That's good. Um, so when you started doing video and things like that, is that early 80s? When were you? My first video I started in 79. 79. <clears throat> and. I mean, videotaping performances and then it quickly moved in in 80. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're documenting your performances and things like that and then are you shifting at some point to just think well the video is going to be the object and that's the purpose of what i'm doing and if you're thinking that way or what's the climate like at that time that's a little bit before me i was born in 82 so uh -huh. i wasn't there to kind of experience that but i'm just curious what the reception was for artists who were working in video at that time not just to document performance um it was it was open i mean um I mean, Saturday Night Live was happening. There was like people were. Um, I I think it was well past the kind of process work, and there was public access that's starting to happen. So there was. It was also funders were interested in sort of more seemingly populist work, you know, mm -hmm. or work that people could sort of withstand, you know, kind of watch. Yeah, and so. Uh, um, there was a reception. I mean, there was also people that would ask me what what this humor business or is doing in the art world. But there were enough people. There was also um, I had support for some from some curators like Marsha Tucker, who was big into that. She actually later did, um, and she was the woman that started the the new museum. Oh wow! And she was a curator. Um, 
who actually had a stand-up act towards the end of her life. She's no longer <laughs> living. But, you know, she was really interested in stand-up. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, I think it's interesting because in some of the, you know, I've watched interviews and read some of your writing and things, and you were one of the people who seemed pretty comfortable with pushing art into a realm where entertainment wasn't necessarily a dirty word. And it was okay if art could be, have an element of sort of mainstream entertainment in it or appeal to that kind of audience. Is that... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't interested in that dichotomy of high and low or whatever. I, you know, there's a, you know, it's kind of porous for me. Yeah. Um, in the, the go for it, Mike video, which is, is that 84? Yeah. Is that when that came out? Um, which is sort of like a, is that when MTV is kind of happening and things like that? I mean, it was a little in response to that. It was mostly a lot of videos back then were either about cars or cocks or something, you know, that was like. (laughs) And the, the videos, were, I don't know, they, I found them insipid. Yeah. I'm still not into music video. I, I, mean, I actually don't watch them, so. Yeah. I don't know that I've seen too many recently, to yeah. be honest. But I definitely grew up on a, a diet of MTV. Um, and it was interesting to later in life after sort of MTV had, was no longer really playing music videos and that wasn't really uh, a form to kind of see the Go For It Mike video for the first time. And all of the tropes and things like that, it seems like a very blatant satire of that kind of approach but at the same time um you know i watched it again the other day and he's getting ready to run for some sort of political office or something is that correct and it it seems so ludicrous in the seems so ludicrous in the video and probably was meant to be so but as i'm watching this i'm sort of thinking oh this guy would win now right this kind of populist character it was also (laughs) i was kind of uh I I was kind of proud of that because it came out before uh, um, Reagan's Morning in America campaign with all this um, Americana. What's the Morning in America campaign? That's where it's him, I think, you know, with Americana imagery and horses and all that stuff. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's Morning in America. It's going to be a new, you know, it's like making America great again or something. Oh, yes, just a a fun relatively hollow slogan yeah um oh man can i back up a little you were talking about midwestern humor yeah yeah and um one thing for me that uh with those comics that i listened to when i was younger i think of a lot of midwestern humor although you know belushi and and bill murray and those people come out of it too and not necessarily this may not apply to them but there was a certain pace and a certain kind of slow slower language delivery you know that i i associate with that hmm a certain kind of yeah yeah like a laid backness or something it's not as neurotic as kind of an east coast uh well you still then you have was shelly berman from chicago or is he he's he was pretty neurotic but but he was he talked fast but you know i don't know yeah that's interesting and then i guess uh a West Coast sensibility would be its own thing entirely. But yeah, there's kind of a, I think my father's like that. There's kind of a slow, deliberate thing yeah. that, that when he, when he says something that's very funny as if it's kind of occurring to him in the moment, even though I know he's thought of it immediately. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of just lets it sort of go. And then it seems as if he's just discovered what he's going to say. That's right. funny. When I'm right. like, you just drag that out. You knew exactly what you were going to say. Right. Uh, yeah. Oh uh, Yeah. I've mentioned this many times, but Jackie Vernon was the voice I heard. Huh. 
Yeah. That's pretty interesting. I try to think about that a lot, and I guess I don't. I've lived a lot of different places, so I I don't know what the sense of humor is necessarily. But time and time again, I feel like that uh, those formative years living around the type of characters that I existed near in the Midwest probably had a pretty significant impact right. in terms of like. But you know, maybe I'm not talking so much about the Midwest, but I'm talking about something that I heard through television or through records. Yeah. So something I associated with my basement. So that was Midwestern to me because it came in through the hearth or it came in through the, you know. Right, just the site where you yeah. absorbed it as right. opposed to where it came from. Yeah, I, I don't see the forest for the trees for the <laughs> most part. So. Well, and that was, uh, I mean, you're part of the generation that first kind of with access to television mm -hmm. and things like that. So obviously you're probably synthesizing all of maybe family or local people and kind of conflating that at the same time with this stuff that you're receiving right. through media. And I may, I, I all like to add, I'm absorbing it very slowly. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, so for anybody who uh, is listening and isn't familiar, um, who's baby Icky? Uh, baby Icky is, um, uh, he's a um, sort of, um, a toddler who um, he's sort of the, in this arrested developmental stage. He's 18 months and he's a he's a a baby that doesn't speak and he just wanders around. He responds to his environment mm -hmm. and he's um, this kind of I think of him as a blank screen that people project onto. I mean, he's hardly a blank screen. I I. Um, he it's baby icky was like i he kind of came out of this palindrome like i k k i so if you look at him no matter how you look at him he's always a baby mm -hmm. or forward or backwards and <laughs> i guess i i was reading jari ubu the king and he was like I, I don't know i thought of him as this baby that could go through any kind of situation and always come out the same or something mm -hmm. and uh i don't know he just he sort of developed it i'm usually completely in my head the baby's completely in his body. So it's also kind of great because I don't have to memorize anything. <laughs> you know, it's something I can just put that that outfit on and do it. Yeah. There's a, you, there's a video of, was it like in the late 70s in Connecticut? Yeah. Or something in Hartford? And yeah. there's a crowd kind of gathered and you're sort of stomping around and the baby does... Uh, it's really funny because you're watching it and the baby wanders into the street and the same kind of visceral response that you would have to any real baby going right. into the street occurs because right. you're playing this baby very convincingly, but there's also like this knowledge that whoever's doing this is an artist, but clearly if they're doing this and wandering into the street, like they're probably ready to get hit by a car right. kind of deal, which I'm sure is very uncomfortable. I, yeah, I, I'm surprised <laughs> I did it. I'm very happy I did, and I'm very happy they had a video camera. <laughs> I think a cop comes and <laughs> drags you out of the road. He threw me down. I actually, he, I actually skinned my leg and everything. It, it, and it was kind of, it was a good timing because um, I was ready to stop. Yeah. I, I had a permit to be on the sidewalk, but not in the street. He was very pissed at me. He was, he was, swearing at me under his breath it was kind of a little frightening <laughs> and so i i was amazed that i just stayed in character yeah how do you pick when to end that if you're so i mean 
with the other performances, you're pretty scripted. You know exactly what you're doing, but you go out and you play this baby. Like, is there a, well, when somebody does this, that's when it's done. Or do you just kind of, you're feeling it and it stops or. I don't know. Maybe it's like a baby. I'm thinking I'm hungry or yeah. something. <laughs> <You're gonna go laughs> I'm thirsty. I'm, this is, this is, oh, I'm dressed up as a baby in public. I, I think I want to stop. Yeah. I want to find a place where I can change and disappear. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I can do it. The thing is, I do the baby pretty well. I've got the movements down. Yeah, well. it's the physicality of it's actually pretty astounding. And I was going to ask you if there's any uh, background that you have in sort of studying movement, or if that's just you kind of have done the baby enough that. But even that in the seventies, it's you, this is pretty baby movements. I mean, there's a kind of weird knowledge of the center of gravity mm -hmm. of a child as it's walking these other things. And it's I don't very... know if I want to go there. <laughs> no, no. I had a little dance, but I, I, I think it's all I, – I, I had a gym teacher who used to t talk about isometrics. So I think it's just about, you know, just tension yeah. that I'll never get out of my body. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, now I'm trying to just look forward when I walk down the street. My girlfriend was talking about – slumping so i'm just i hope i can correct that trying to keep it standing yeah. up. um but i think yeah there's a there's a pretty serious physicality not only in the baby but also in your facial expressions that reminds me of a lot of um comics and things like that that i've always enjoyed those small ticks and things that somebody right. can do and really knowing how to inhabit like just the skin that they're in even if one is a little bit uncomfortable in that and i think that um I mean, the baby in particular, we've got the sunglasses on. So that the facial, is such a big help. Yeah. It's not quite as exaggerated because it's just sort of, and you've got a pacifier shoved in your mouth. So right. you kind of have this little veneer right. on your face. It's a good thing because I've been known to chew the scenery a lot. So that kind of <laughs> filters it a bit. <laughs> There's in that, uh, I don't know if you ever saw this movie. Um, I don't know when it came out, maybe the 80s, uh, Parenthood. It was like Steve Martin and Rick Moranis, just like a family comedy type of thing. But I didn't see it, but I remember seeing the posters in yeah. the subway. Line. Well, there's this scene where Steve Martin. I remember my dad used to rent this for us on VHS when I was a kid, and often, uh, multiple times. Like he would come back with the same videotape and, and turn it on and leave the room. Yep, or? yeah, just give it to me and my <laughs> sisters. And we, I mean, we loved it because there was some. Uh, there was definitely a scene with a vibrator in it. Um, there was some real pretty crude humor. And as a kid, I was mm -hmm. like, I'll watch this as many times as possible. But how old were you? Man, I don't know. It, maybe nine, ten, something like that. So we and would, you knew what a vibrator was? I knew it was a thing that I wasn't supposed to be seeing. Uh -huh. I had no idea what it did, but the way that the adults in the room reacted when there's this reveal that like, hey, I think I found the candlestick during a blackout and then it, the lights turn on and it's vibrating and everyone just, I think it's Diane Weiss maybe, isn't it? And uh -huh. she just screams and everybody goes nuts and is panicking. And I'm like, whatever that thing is, I'm not supposed to be looking at that. And I was really excited about it. And it was also, I think, Joaquin Phoenix's first movie that he was ever in. He's a little boy and he's got this bag that he carries all the time, this paper bag. And his mom is, you know, she's a single mom and her daughter is uh, a high schooler is dating Keanu Reeves. And she's always like, I'm, I can't connect with my son. I don't know what he's carrying around in this bag. And finally she finds one day, she breaks the lock in his room and looks and it's full of pornographic VHS tapes. And she's crying when he comes home and watching one of them and he panics and Keanu Reeves is sort of like uh, ne'er-do-well, like bad boyfriend, bad boy boyfriend sort of steps in and you know says, the little guy's just bopping his baloney. 
<laughs> and like just sort of uh, explains what this kid is doing. So all these very adult things. But anyways, that was a long-winded way of saying there's a scene with Steve Martin where he dresses up like a cowboy at his son's birthday party and his facial expressions are so similar to the ones that Mike is doing in the Go For It Mike video. And I uh-huh. was just like laughing so hard when I was watching that again the other day because I was like, that kind of rubber face physicality right. kind of thing is right. something that a lot of performance artists don't have. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of performers have it, but uh, typically not seen in performance art. Right. I think, I mean, I like to think that, um, well, I don't know if I like to think, but when Steve Martin does it, there's usually quotes around that. Huh, yeah. You know, the, yeah. The, that, uh-huh. yeah. 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 And sometimes I hope mine Minor like that too. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Come to the hottest new theme park in the whole country. It's called uh, it's called Midwest World, and uh, instead of the man in black, it's a uh, man in a, a Chicago Bears hat. Um, Bernard uh, works at. Uh, Schoolyard Institute Chicago and um, uh, Dr. Ford is is the dean of the college um, and uh, everybody else is a robot and they're just robots who go around Chicago and you and your family can come and you can meet the robots and talk to them and it's pretty fun um, you can do whatever you want if you're rich by and buy a building there to push the building over. You can go to the art museum um, and break a bunch of art if you want to. It's actually encouraged in Midwest world. Uh, so round up the kids, put them in the car, uh, drive however far you have to go, and um, you're going to have a great time at Midwest world. It's the newest thing, and it's the uh, best place. Going back to the baby icky character and the kind of presence and performing in that way, I think I've also heard or read you talk about baby icky as eliciting this dual response in an audience is kind of, they want to nurture the baby, but the baby's a bit grotesque. So they're also kind of turned off. And I feel like that's a something that a lot of visual artists or comedians can identify with just by putting something out into the world that you you want both of those responses like you want people to care and you want people to look at it but you also want to kind of stick it to them mm. and tell them to kind of fuck off and quit staring at you and i don't know if uh in the early days of baby icky if that was a conscious thing that you were trying to elicit or that's just through observation of as i'm performing these people are trying to help me or these people are just getting upset and leaving i the guess i just did it and i sort of accepted it as it came along i didn't i didn't really strategize it too much yeah well it seems yeah it seems like a pretty natural response for people to have right. it's really weird because it look you look like a baby it looks very much like a baby it's just the proportions are slightly wrong and i'm a little hairier <laughs> yeah. yeah it's very it's kind of like simian in a sense that's I guess. the word yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, i always thought of it as an it but then i guess you know as is, is, is sort of non um i mean it came out of like early feminist discussion i was trying to find a 
neuter, neutral kind of. Yeah, like a genderless. Yeah. Like a baby's pretty genderless. Yeah. It's got a, a doctor assigned sex or this or that, but that baby's not they performing. They look all alike yeah. if they have a diaper on. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, 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 I had that rap for a while, but, I mean, I look fairly masculine. Yeah. Yeah. I have to admit that. Yeah. <laughs> you do. You're a very masculine man. I yeah. am. Um, and then... I wanted to talk a little bit about the Voyage of Growth and Discovery, the project with Mike Kelly uh-huh. and Baby Icky uh, going to Burning Man. And there was a, I think you did like a Mocha TV talk and it was right after Mike passed away and you were sort of recounting the process of how uh, that project came to be. But I wasn't clear when I was listening to that whether, I mean, obviously there's a camera crew with you, but did Mike Kelly go with you to Burning Man or are you just there with like, do you know these camera people or did you just hire a crew? I had two people. And did you, are these friends or just? They, we, I hired them. Okay. No, it was planned out and hired. And the woman who shot it, um, Gabrielle, um, she um, was also a burner. So she wrangled everything and also shot everything. So she knew the she'd been... Um, like at the burn, like that was her eighth visit or something. So she knew a lot of the people there. Yeah, she was your Virgil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was great. Yeah. Well, it seemed pretty evident from the, I mean, I, I saw the show at Sculpture Center and I've been able to watch the videos and stuff afterwards. And I think there's a book too, right? I think my... I don't know about that. I thought there was a publication. Maybe not, but... There's a there's a, a videotape that's out. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. My buddy, uh, Mike Welsh, has a copy of it. And maybe that's where I also got to see the video I'll give again. You a copy. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. Um, but there's something... I mean, I was thinking about that. And the same thing with... I mean, I know Mike has um, other people around sometimes. But a lot of the videos with Mike and this thing with Baby Icky, there's this kind of profound loneliness that's really heartbreaking but also very funny at the same time and is that like what's going through your head when you're wandering around burning i mean you don't the funny thing is you don't stick out at burning man until the baby really starts to be a baby but what's going through my head i want to get through this punch list and i want to leave (laughs) (laughs) i want to get this that was so much work i can't uh, not my beach no oh i so much work and we just kept Gabrielle just said, oh, let's go here. Let's go there. Let's." I mean, Mike and I came up with a rough outline, so we had to get some shots. There was only one shot that I didn't want to get where I was really um, reluctant to do, and it was to be in public at a, at a, at a public rest stop. And oh, we did do one of Black Rock. Like, yeah, you know. in like, uh, you know, like uh, we did go to one where there was, I wandered around where there was trucks at one of those you know like a flying country. j or something no it wasn't a flying j it was more like a a, a a rest stop um you know like parks a parks you know, yeah facilities and then the trucks would sleep and mm-hmm. stuff and it was empty it was great and i could wander around the trucks and wander around the garbage can and the rest stop and so i i sort of checked that off the list because <laughs> the beginning of it is there's footage inside like the is an RV or in, in the we rented an RV fire and yeah. lighting starting burners and things like yeah, that. Yeah, it was but. from the Wicker Man. <laughs> I'm watching the Wicker Man. <laughs> You're right. uh, it, we, the original or the Nicolas Cage? The original. Yeah, <laughs> and we're uh, Mike. Yeah, so we played that, and he's 
you know, he's watching it when the maypole dance comes on. Yeah. And uh, and and then Popeye cartoons. Oh, and then there was another thing with uh, a lot of fire. I forget it was a horror movie. I forget what it was. Which one? <laughs> oh, and scenes from the baby, the what, movie called the baby. What is the baby? It's about it's about these women that um, don't let their child develop. So it's really about infantilism. But the the huh. kid is really not. Uh, developed at all it's very weird and perverse film but it's a baby it's the child is physically growing but not uh psychologically he's full grown oh he's full grown and he's sort of locked in there's a strange backstory oh man that's pretty heavy um but uh it i think there was a I guess it was, uh, I think Ken Johnson wrote it, but wrote a review of the show that you and Mike did at Sculpture Center. And um, and I'm curious if you felt like the the angle that he took was what you guys were going for, which was basically kind of said, you know, this is, this is a jab at this kind of naive sort of belief that hedonism and psychotropic drugs and all these things are somehow going to bring about a revolution and this sort of thing that's happening, you know, 40 years after you know the first time that people pretended that this was going to somehow end things and whether that was basically like a critic's read or if you two were going in pretty skeptical of this whole kind of community because it seemed to me like that would be something like mike kelly might like but i don't know well he may like for various reasons aesthetic reasons or like i mean he may like the sense of community and this kind of built-in like um uh, dystopic vision. Um, I mean, it, it, it's it, it's also interesting how like this, you know, creative, you know, this unbridled creative creativity at this place sort of leads to a lot of really bad art. Yeah, I mean, sponsored mm-hmm. Black Rock sponsored art mm-hmm. that's not really the kind of art I look at. I mean, no. I maybe there was a bit of a little jab at that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to come out to say no, that's, that's what the purpose is, but I, you know, let's just say it wasn't my beach. Yeah. I can't speak for Mike. Not Mike's not around. Sure. There, but of we, course. we agreed pretty much about. It. Yeah. Well, I think it's sort of a funny thing. And what, what year did you go? Was it 2008? Or yeah. Something that you went 2008. And I mean, even, I guess it's nine years later now, but that, uh, Burning Man is sort of an institution is now this kind of um, libertarian fantasy world where you can leave Silicon Valley in a private jet and right. rent like an air conditioned mansion tent and bring like waiters with you and right. basically just kind of have this uh, libertarian fantasy kind of play out. Right. And, and that aligns very much for me, at least politically with the kind of a certain sort of selfishness that occurred after a lot of people were part of a free love revolution and then just sort of said well you know what fuck this i actually do want to i want to be able to pay my mortgage and do these other things and then kind right. of just ditched the the tenets of that kind of thing and i think there's a frustration with uh a younger generation of people seeing looking at something like burning man and just kind of saying like you fools this didn't work 40 years ago and you all aren't even protesting anything you're just getting together Right, um, and doing a lot of, I think, a lot of drugs, or else, you know, um, 
trying to stay sober from the drugs they had learned to take from prior burning you know, <laughs> men. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not innocent of being curious about that kind of culture. I mean, I went to the first uh, five Bonnaroo's um, uh-huh. when I was very young, uh, started going when I was 19 and had this kind of real, uh, you know, excitement for a couple of years going to this thing and thinking, wow, what a, you know, what a neat way that people can create this micro economy and like utopia in this thing. And then I think by the third year at one point, it sort of occurred to me as you're really kind of seeing people whacked out on drugs pretty, pretty wildly. And, you know, I've got no problem with people getting whacked out on drugs, but at one point, I think I, I don't even remember what music I was watching, but kind of looking around and seeing these like clown faces of everybody just like, you know, their eyeballs out of their heads and just being like, this is hanging on a thread. Yeah. <laughs> like, this could go really badly at any moment. Right. And there's no infrastructure to stop it from happening, like from turning into complete chaos right. and everybody just like killing each other. <laughs> but <laughs> I was impressed with the organization. Yeah. I mean, it's an incredibly... Um, it's institutionalized. It's this. Um, it's like a nonprofit, right? It's like the Black Rocks. So they give out an artist grant. <laughs> it's nonprofit, but I think someone's there's some money being made there. Sure. I mean, millions of dollars are coming in. Yeah. You're not supposed to spend money at it. I think is that the right? But you can spend money to make sure that you don't have uh, so that all of your wants are covered when you get there. Well, you have to be kind of prepared, and there's a lot of exchange going, on, bartering going on. Yeah. It's a gift economy. Yeah. And it also. I don't know what it costs now, but it was three hundred dollars a head to like get 10 in. Ten years ago, wow! I'm yeah. sure it's, I'm sure it's more than that now. Yeah, it's I mean, be... that's a lot of money when you get like, they stopped counting because they they were worried about, you know, the the, the local people getting a little worried about how big it's gotten. But it's yeah. big for the economy everywhere. I think. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and then, I also wanted to talk about the last show. It was your. It was your last solo show at Green Enough Tyler, which was 2015, Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so I got the chance to write about that, which Thank I you. was really happy to do. That was a fun assignment to have come to me. Mm-hmm. I was, yes, I would love to write about that. Um, but I was curious too, because as I was writing about it, and I you know, rarely ever get to talk to somebody after I've written something about their show that isn't just like a friend that I wrote for somebody's website or something mm-hmm. like that. And as I was kind of, you know, I went to the show a few times, um, and it was wonderful because it was summer. So if I went during a weekday, it was like I could really sit and watch the watch the video piece and I guess also the projection piece of the dates and things like that. But as I was sitting there and writing and kind of thinking about it, I started to think about this as this sort of third act um, kind of in this artist's life and somebody who's made their body and their physicality really a part of their work. And, you know, you've got these sort of three pretty distinct stages at least through you know, you've got literally an infant toddler um you've got this sort of person that goes from young adulthood over the like mike over uh, you've been doing mike for 30 years something like that so we've seen him yeah close to 40 yeah so we've seen him go from like a young man to like a, a proper sort of like adult age and then this show seemed very much like this kind of reflection back on all those things and mike and icky are both in the ballet piece right Mm -hmm. and then there the icky just makes a cameo yeah although as soon as the baby you know as soon as it's oh that's the that's the baby guy you know that made (laughs) us say oh the, the the baby guy you know um but i think that there was a it really felt to me like this kind of um 
very intentionally funny kind of take on like an artist getting to basically like like you're the same age as my dad and my dad retired but my dad didn't stop doing he's my model <laughs> <laughs> he's my model your dad but this kind of uh yeah he, he retired and then got his contractor's license and immediately just started building shit he was a social worker before that uh -huh. um and now yeah he's got a business he my mom is a retired interior designer so they take on projects together in my hometown and my mom will design them and then my dad builds them. they're like a design build team it's actually very hip in you know right. the architecture world they just that's not on their they're not marketing it that way i could really you but know. it's a for-profit venture <laughs> yeah okay good um but uh just these different things where it seemed like this kind of funny take on like well what does it mean now when i look back over all these decades of work and things and especially that you, you went to kid zania which is in is that that's in brazil the, i went to i shot in brazil but i i the first one i went to was in, outside of mexico city oh okay and then uh and then there's the ponce de leon park in florida right, is that right? in saint augustine yeah and so you're and again it's mike is there solo Right. And just kind of wandering around, which is extra funny because it's also like, well, clearly someone's fucking taking these pictures. So it's this very funny kind of They're like... very <laughs> posed, <laughs> staged. Um, but again, there's that kind of uh, funny loneliness as he's kind of wandering through these things. And I think one of the things that I tried to touch on was, if I'm remembering correctly, Kid Zania is this place where if you're a kid, you can pretend to be an adult. You right. can be a they, firefighter. They have this whole, you know civic structure and everything they have a, a town hall they and kids get money yeah and they get credit cards it's, it's amazing <laughs> and then the inverse of that is like it's mall culture yeah. it's basically like going to a mall <laughs> and then the fountain of youth park though is basically like this this inverse idea of that where it's like trying to stay young forever well yeah i mean it's built up on that but then they have this this other connecting the the way they could stay there it's also next to it there's a park that's been designated i don't know the landmark is lack of a better word but it's because it was the first christian uh native american christian burial ground or something the native americans they were converted that they'd converted yeah <laughs> so it's a sort of archaeological site wow um and so that Ponce de Leon never really, they don't know if he really went there. So it's all mythic stuff <laughs> that was started. Uh, it was a theme park and they actually sold water in the like the turn of the century. And it was a big, St. Augustine is really a, an interesting town. It had the first Ripley's Believe It or Not. It had this huge resort, to, um, resort there. And it was at one time a big resort place. Really? Yeah. I've never been to St. Augustine. I've been to a few different places in Florida. I like that Florida is like a, uh, it's like four countries packed into one, uh -huh. just like batshit crazy state. Um, but yeah, I'm just curious if that was there, is there kind of like a somber but funny reflection going on in that show? I mean, you have the, the one projection piece that's just every year that you've been alive. And right. they just kind of dissipate. I and like then, that piece. Yeah. And there's like a, so for people who didn't see it, there's this like scrim and behind it is a disco ball, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm -hmm. And the years are being projected from 1951 up to 2015. And they're only up for about 20 seconds and they disappear, just the date. And then this kind of fog machine is just like occasionally just like farting out some yeah. fog. And it sort Thank of you for using that. The, I think you use flatulent. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Because that was important. It was, um, it was really funny, but also just this kind of, there's like a sadness to it. But there's a Total. pathos and so much humor. And 
I was just curious if that was uh, on your mind doing the show or if I'm just like projecting onto you as I'm looking at this thing and being like, this seems like a like a third act kind of thing. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, that I that piece, the disco ball was like the initial idea for that Musco piece, that failed business installation I'd done, I don't know, 20 years ago. And uh, um, because I came up in the 80s, I, I have these associations of death with disco and mm-hmm. disco balls. And every it seems like every three to five years there's a, a disco revival mm-hmm. and this kind of this kind of loss of memory about what it represents for other people. And yeah, stuff. remember when U two tried to do a disc? I think they did a whole disco album and like toured on it. When oh, I was did, when yeah, I was in like junior high, they tried uh-huh. to do like a comeback and say, "Hey, we're uh, we're now this." And right. I was like, "This does this feels very anachronistic uh-huh. like, to me," and I don't know what that word means because right. I'm 14. But <laughs> it was it was kind of my homage to Ankawara. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw that. I mean, yeah. the text was Futura, and it was like very much. You but, mentioned that, I think. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. those felt to me. Those paintings are, you know, really like a, a declaration of existence. And I'm right. here. This is a physical object. It says on this date I perform this action. And in, um, you know, like a few minutes time, you kind of saw like the entire time that you'd been alive show up and disappear. So it felt like this nod very much, but kind of like a, you know, a much more uh, abject take on right. that. Although I guess Encore's works a little bit in that same kind of like in that same pocket. I, I like that. I, I was ha- happy that it was not connected to either of my um, personas. Yeah. And it was just something that people could bring whatever they wanted to that. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice. There was the bench, and it was, like, nice and air-conditioned in the gallery. And it, was kind of, it was in the midway point between the two bodies of work because in the back was the video piece, right. if I'm remembering correctly. And the photos and stuff. Yeah. Um, the sound, too, though, of the – I can't remember. Was it, like, six videos that you had on monitors that were in there? Um in the front room. Yeah, in the yeah. front room where Mike's kind of fumbling with his keys and pulling out earbuds and these things. Uh-huh. That was, uh, I think I tried to put, I tried to put something in the interview that uh, got edited out because it was like not enough people know what that is or something. But I was trying to describe the feeling when I first walked into that space and um, I was by myself as I kind of walked into the show. It's like, I don't know, like noon on a Tuesday or something, you know? And Oh, that's the height of traffic time. In, <laughs> in like in like July, <laughs> yeah. but uh, but so I'm in there and uh, you know it's it's this it's a big gallery space, so the sound is kind of working in this really interesting way, and there's these six channels and it's coming out of them, and it really felt like uh, at the time I remember it was it, what was becoming very popular on YouTube was people watching ASMR videos, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you have watched those or not, but it's this sort of no, but I've actually I'm. I have that, and I've known it since I've, I mean, I used to love, when I was a little kid, I used to watch the cooking shows and the wooden spoon against yeah, yeah. the pan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just realized, oh, that's what it is. Yeah, but, and that had a, the sound in that seemed so important, and the way that it was kind of happening all at the same time, and in these different sort of loops, and in this kind of three-dimensional experience, and I thought that that was a really nice thing that, um is a little bit risky only because I'm sure at the opening nobody fucking heard what those things were and that's when a lot No, of but they could the see me, you know, yeah. bumbling around. Yeah, yeah, but there's something about those uh 
the sounds were really chewy, I guess, like mm-hmm. something that you don't ever pay attention to, like the sound of somebody like threading earbuds through their shirt actually right. has a really intense, right. really specific kind of sound. And then as those were all going together, it was this weird kind of harmonic thing. Right. Um, also that, that champion running suit too, that kind of yeah. <laughs> synthetic, you know, yeah, yeah. whatever. I remember I used to have, uh, it was when it must've been 88 was 80. Uh, shoot. Well, I don't remember when they first let the, um, much to the chagrin of every other country in the world, they let professional NBA players from the United States play in the Olympics. Uh, and I was a kid and it was just, I mean, maybe it was 92, probably 92, but I was so excited because like all of the, I was like a big, you know, Detroit Pistons fan growing up in Michigan and things and big Chicago Bulls fan. And, you know, those were the teams that had these great players going and stuff. And I remember getting from maybe like cornflakes or some cereal. If you bought enough, you could send away for this jacket. And it was made out of this like somewhere between windbreaker material and just paper and was like this swishy, weird kind of coat. And I just couldn't like get enough of wearing this thing. It would just like, I was already a really fidgety kid. And this just was like, I guess, yeah, I was also experiencing that as a kid and just being like, I don't know why this is so rewarding, right. but I just got to keep doing this. Do you know the, um, one of my favorite scenes in film is that um, waiting room scene of Jacques Tati's in Playtime? I haven't seen it. You got to see it. It's online. Yeah. It's amazing. Do you have seen any of his films? No, no, I'm not familiar. Oh, I learned a long time ago not to pretend like I know who somebody is if I don't. So. Yeah, good. Oh, you got us. He's. I mean, he was a huge influence on me. His films are amazing. I'll have to check that out. That sounds really great. Amazing. Yeah, you got to see uh, Playtime. He did Playtime and uh, Mr. Hulo's Holiday. He did a bunch. I will put Playtime on my queue. I'm gonna have to watch that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that just it's in the Criterion Collection. And okay. It's, that just reminded me too of the uh, sound of a a pan, like a cooking pan that has water in it, dinging the side of the sink. Uh-huh. And there's like a dong kind of happens. And I remember my mom used to hit that and I would just like perk up and just be like, "That what What was that? Like, Well, he did this, I think it's playtime where he, he sort of does this kind of um, goof on modern architecture uh-huh. and, and furniture and stuff. And there's a lot of like, and like door sounds and everything. It's it's great. <laughs> Amazing soundtrack. That's pretty cool. Um, well, so, uh, you know, besides besides going to teach, which I'm sure keeps you very busy during the year. Um, sort of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you get to do like one of those, your full time, you get one of those fancy like two-in-one schedules? What's that? You know, like you teach two classes one semester and then one the next semester. I teach two and two usually. two and two but okay. I'm, that's I'm, a respectable number i just... i, I uh, i'm at a research institution so i'm i'm able to they support me in my research that's great so i i take off when i need to i mean i i i ask for permission but mostly they support me in letting me go and do my work so i'm constantly doing that that's great i've worked at some private art schools that don't really see that as a valuable thing for a faculty member to go and do is uh go be in an art show or right. do some research for something or right uh, or an opportunity no, it's it's, <laughs> it's actually uh things got i don't i wouldn't say easier but um it allowed me having the job allowed me to enter into the middle class and also it it sort of solved some problems like paying rent and everything. You know? yeah. 
<laughs> a little less stress in certain ways. Yeah. Well, you got any uh, any projects coming up that we should keep an eye on, or you want to keep mum about that? I don't. I don't. I've got some things coming up, but they're they're really. Um, I'm. You'll see me at my most inarticulate so i'd rather not talk about that's them. fine and um but i uh it's a rude question i don't like it when people ask me what i've got going rude. on or what's coming no, up I mean, <laughs> usually you plug things and so no but i just did this um it's a follow-up of that you know um uh youth theme uh-huh. um and i just did a uh a tattoo parlor at the sculpture project munster and i did a it's called the shop is called not quite underground <coughs> And it was we're targeting um, people sixty five and older. Oh wow, that's a good time to get yeah yeah. So mm-hmm. it's actually doing well. It's very busy, and I it's sort of it sort of underscores the idea that you know it's if you're going to do it, you should do it now. You're not quite underground, and also <laughs> tattoos are not quite underground anymore. No, so no. Um, I designed the the waiting room is IKEA. <laughs> and I asked a lot of people, a lot of friends and people to design the tattoos. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, it's, it's, and I did a, a video that's kind of almost like a travelogue promotional for this festival that takes this big show that takes place every 10 years. So it's sort of, it sort of makes a little comment about these huge, huge, like art shows. Mm hmm. Um, cool. Well, Michael, thank you so much for coming by. It's a pleasure. Yeah. I hope you have a safe trip to Austin. And Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.